This is TSFPN.com, the Sci-Fi Podcast Network. You found the best podcast in the universe. It's the 25th of August, 2005, and you're listening to The Secrets. Welcome to this podcast of The Secrets, the podcast for anyone who is serious about writing. The Secrets home can be found at www.stormwolf.com. For the next 15 minutes, we'll talk about writing and how to get you even closer to seeing your name on the spine of a book. Welcome to the third special edition of The Secrets. I'm your host, Michael A. Stackpole. I'm a science fiction and fantasy novelist whose 38th book was published this year. I've got five more books under contract, and my work has been published in nine different languages. I actually make my living as a writer, which brings us to the topic for this show, Five Steps to Building a Career. Before we start in, I want to remind you that this podcast of The Secrets is an outgrowth of my writing newsletter. If you run over to www.stormwolf.com, my website, you'll find links where you can pull down some sample issues and all the information you'll need to subscribe to The Secrets. You'll find a lot more very useful information about writing in the newsletters by me and other writers, all of whom who have been where you'd like to be. Career building is the toughest trick in the writing game. It's my firm conviction that absolutely anyone has at least one book in him. He'll have the luxury of having years to work on it and perfect it before he ever brings it to market. If a publisher buys that book, the author will be asked for another book, and pretty much anyone will have learned enough writing one book to churn out a second. The third, however, is tougher. Even so, there are lots of writers who ignore the steps I'll mention in a minute, who are able to get five, six, even eight books published. Without exception, however, their books have marginal sales and usually occur within a genre that's hot, as techno-thrillers or horror were in recent memory. When those genres get oversold and collapsed, those marginal individuals cease being writers and just become folks who have written. The following five steps won't guarantee a career for you, but they'll allow you to maximize your chances of having one. I believe that writers get ranked on two scales, 0 to 99. One is talent. That's inborn, and there's nothing you can do about raising that score. What you have is what you get. The other is skill. To get published, you need a cumulative score of 100. To have a career, you need a cum score of 150. It's important, then, to take conscious charge of what you're doing for your career. There are plenty of writers of limited talent who just write the heck out of everything they do and thereby have a career. The five steps of building a career. Step one, read extensively. The biggest error writers make is to narrow their reading list to the area in which they want to write. This is death itself because writers learn to write by reading other writers. What we do involves the art of communication and we learn the techniques of good communication through reading writers who communicate well with us. Different writers use different techniques and a good writer will want to master as many of these as possible. As I noted above, Developing your skills as a writer is the way to overcome deficiencies in talent. And, as E. Jean Carroll said in a recent issue of Elle magazine, talent is for amateurs. Now, I'm sure some of you are wondering, what the heck's a writer of fantasy novels doing reading Elle? I actually have a subscription. Quite simply, Elle is one of a number of magazines I take because it provides me both ideas and information that can be vital. I have to know, for example, what the heck an empire-wasted gown is if I want to describe it. In addition to that, 
articles written to appeal to women, both in subject matter and approach, give me an insight into how women think. Over and above that, any anecdote, detailed in articles or in the letters to E. Jean, can become the starting point for a story, or color worked into a story. Just asking myself, how would my character handle that same situation, provides me with insights into characters I might not otherwise have. When I talk with other fiction writers, I ask them what percentage of their reading is nonfiction, and I can't recall a one that's answered with a number below 50%. For the vast majority of us, nearly three quarters of our reading is nonfiction. We read for research, either specifically or speculatively. Specific research is simple. You're looking at a book to find a fact you simply must nail down. Speculative research is trolling through books that interest you, learning about a subject that someday you might turn into a novel. For example, I read a lot of books about World War I, and while I've not written a World War I novel per se, I've used bits and pieces of what I've learned in all sorts of stories. The Dark Glory War is, in feel and nature, a World War I novel, for example, and details of a real-life escape from a POW camp in Germany made its way into a short story that will be published next year. It's also interesting to point out that a chunk of the fiction reading done by working writers is not for enjoyment, but is market research. I'll talk more about that in a moment, but understand that when you're a writer, you learn to look at books differently. There are, thank the heavens, stunningly talented writers who blow past the internal editor and just give me pure pleasure. Most of the rest of the time, however, I look at how writers do things, figure out how I would do them differently, and sometimes I wonder how the books ever got published. But there's the first step. Read as much as you can. Fiction, non-fiction, in-genre, and especially out. Look at what other authors do and figure out how you can make their techniques work for you. Learn from their mistakes so you don't require correction down the line. Understand this is a process that will be ongoing forever and will likewise pay dividends forever. Step 2. Market Research This second step is one that eludes most writers and kills any chance they have at a career. The comments that follow might seem crass, capitalistic, and artless, but they address a reality in today's marketplace. If you just want to write for yourself, that's fine, but if you want a career as a writer, a commercially successful writer, then developing market awareness is as important to you as learning how to hit a high-hanging curveball is to a pro baseball player. Ignore this step and you are doomed to minor league status. Every genre has evergreen subgenres, and separating them from fads is very important. Since a book can take as long as two years from the day it's purchased to the day it hits the bookstore, by the time you recognize a fad developing, the publishing houses have two years of inventory and the initial sales figures are in, and they've already begun tapering back on their purchases. Cyberpunk novels followed exactly this pattern back in the 1980s. Ditto humorous fantasy novels. Techno-thrillers and horror likewise followed that pattern, though their run lasted longer because Tom Clancy and Stephen King had long coattails. Regardless, collapses did come. Science fiction and fantasy do have some evergreen areas. In science fiction, we have military fiction, which waxes and wanes, but never fully goes away. First contact novels remain popular, as do dystopic near-future novels. Alternate history is a strong area right now, primarily because of Harry Turtledove's excellent work. 
In fantasy, we have epic fantasies, which are driven by Lord of the Rings, Robert Jordan, and George R.R. R. Martin. Pet fantasies, where you take any nubile girl and give her a telepathic link to an animal, is another evergreen area. Sword and sorcery is also strong, and many medieval gaming novels are what support this area and train new readers for it. There are other areas out there, and you can figure them out for yourself. Usually what sets them apart is that you have a half dozen acknowledged leaders in the area and a steady stream of books that fit in there by lesser lights. In any month, you'll have at least six novels that feed that market. Market research of this sort is important because it will allow you to target your book for success. Obviously, an evergreen area is one where there is a constant demand for books. If a publishing house has to publish at least one epic fantasy a month, and you're writing an epic fantasy, your chances of being accepted are better than someone writing a sword and six-gun novel set in the high plains of Mars. Moreover, your chance of success with the book are higher since there's a known market for that kind of novel. Some of you are thinking that you'll just pick the area with the greatest sales and start writing there. That's a good idea, only if you read and enjoy those books. If you hate epic fantasy, you'll never write a good one. And even if an editor taps your book to fill a hole in his schedule, the readers won't be fooled. Your book will die, and that incarnation of your career will as well. Conversely, some of you think it's horrible to choose a subject based on how well it sells. I agree. But if you like epic fantasy as much as you like, say, hard science fiction novels about molecular manipulation of DNA to correct hereditary diseases, why not write an epic fantasy? Not only do you stand a better chance of having a sale and then a sale success, but the legitimacy you gain through that success means your publisher is more likely to be interested in your DNA novel. In short, do you sow seeds on rocky ground or in a fertile field that's well tilled and tended? The second step, market research, will point you to those fertile fields. While you should only write the kinds of stories you love, targeting an area where success is maximized only makes good career sense. And please, don't do as one writer did. He once told me that market research was useless because he'd done it and his books had not sold. He'd looked at the market and seen that absolutely no one was doing a particular type of novel. That's exactly the type of novel he wrote, and it died. It's akin to saying, well, no one's looking for water in the desert, so that's where I'll look. You don't differentiate yourself from the crowd by the subject you choose to write, but by how well you write it. And that brings us to the third step, writing. Step three, writing. I know, you'd be thinking this is actually the most important step, and it is. But it's not the first step for precisely that reason. The first three steps are a foundation upon which career is built, and without the other two, you'd be writing in a vacuum. It's like a farmer raising the finest hogs in the world, but discovering at the market that the nation is an Islamic republic. Oh well, back to square one. So, you start writing. This is good. Keep writing. Do not revise your earlier chapters over and over again. I know where you live, and if I have to, I'll come over there and smack you. You learn more by writing 24 chapters than you ever will by doing 24 drafts on one chapter. Just keep going. When you finish your novel, you're a novelist, and you'll have developed the skills you need to revise a novel. Sadly, if you've revised the first chapter 24 times and then go on to complete the book, you'll still have to revise it a 25th time to make it fit anyway. 
Now, let's say in Chapter 7 you decide your main character needs a parent who's in a nursing home to soften the gruff, tough guy image you've created so far. That's a great idea. But up to Chapter 7, you've said he's an orphan. You do not go back to Chapter 1 and start putting in hints about the parent. Beginning with Chapter 7, you write as if the parent has been there all along because the relationship that develops between the two characters from that point forward will tell you exactly how much you need to layer into those earlier chapters when you revise the book. Of course, on the first page of your manuscript, you write, Add Parent, just to remind yourself. But that's it. Some listeners will recall hearing that Robert A. Heinlein, a famous science fiction writer, once said that you should never revise a novel except to editorial direction. This comment is usually quoted by writers of questionable talent and poorly developed skills. When I hear it, I have to ask, so, you're saying you're as brilliant as Heinlein? Frankly, were anyone that brilliant, they'd realize that even the most perfect first draft can be made better by some tweaks here and there. Moreover, the Heinlein quote is only a partial quote. He does go on to say that his comment does not mean that you shouldn't revise the work and make it the best you can. Of course you should. Once you've gotten it there, however, don't change it unless someone wants to pay you to make the change. And that sentiment I agree with. This caveat. If you send a novel out and every rejection you get mentions the same problem, you want to give that a serious look and fix it. A common question about revision is how you know when to stop. My feeling is that if a draft changes less than 10% of the manuscript, you're done. You always do a second draft, and a third if necessary. Barring major changes in that third, however, you likely don't need a fourth. Get the book together and send it out. Two more things about writing if you want a career. First, never phone it in. You always have to be giving your best effort. If you've not bitten off more than you can chew with a novel, you're not working yourself hard enough. You are the only person who will push yourself to get better, and your readers will notice and appreciate that fact. In the realm of working on someone else's universe, and I will take time to tell you about that in another podcast and why you should not do that for your first novel, I've had authors tell me that because they don't make as much for the book as they would off of original material, they don't give their best effort. This is foolish and career suicide. If you're writing a Trek book, you have to assume the person reading your novel is in his Trek jammies, in a bed with Trek sheets, with Trek posters on the walls, and Enterprise models hanging from the ceiling on strings. And if you don't show him that you know the universe as well as he does, and love it as much as he does, he'll hate your book. And he won't blame Paramount or the publisher, he'll blame you. He'll never buy another of your books, and he'll tell everyone you're a bad writer. Bye-bye, career. And, as the astute among you have figured out, the same holds true with any other readers that catch you slacking off. There are a lot of marginal writers out there, so by pushing yourself, you leave them in the dust. Ultimately, you want to be the writer used as a counterexample when someone says, Oh, this fantasy stuff is all crap. You want your name to be used to prove that not all of it's crap. Second, and important enough that there will be more podcasts about this subject too, it is all about character. While I believe in strong plots, fascinating settings, romance, action, humor, and suspense, characters are critical. If you have good characters, readers will forgive a lot. Readers read for character. If you don't get them with your characters, you have lost them, and probably lost them forever. 
It is vitally important that your readers connect with your characters on an emotional basis. They can love them or hate them, it doesn't matter. The reaction to them must be strong and as close to immediate as you can make it. Readers will continue through the most boring story there is if the characters have caught their fancy. Characterization is an art, and this is why I spend a lot of time talking about it in The Secrets. For my money, Stephen King is the best writer in the English language working today when it comes to characterization. If you read no one else and just learn from him, you'll be head and shoulders beyond the vast majority of writers. So, step three, write. Write good characters. Finish what you write and revise it until it is the best you can make it. If you do all this, you're but one step away from being published. And that's step four, finding a publisher. Step four, find a publisher. There's lots of conventional wisdom, and in this case it's really an oxymoron, that describes the impossibility of getting published. I usually hear those things coming out of the mouths of lazy writers who've ignored everything I've outlined up to this point. They're like farmers that pick bruised, wormy apples from the ground and wonder why no one buys. It couldn't be their apples, could it? Nope. The market's tight, editors have blacklisted them, bookstores hate them, and readers don't appreciate their brilliance. So the excuses go, and for numbers of beginning writers, those excuses are fodder for depression. Of course, if all that nonsense were true, no one would ever get published. Folks get published all the time, so we know it's not true. What, then, is a winning strategy for getting published? I think it's pretty simple. First, look at your book and decide which authors you're following. If you've written an epic fantasy, then you look at which companies publish epic fantasy. Why? Because you know that publisher knows how to market epic fantasy. They have a need for it. They know how to handle it, how to edit it, how to promote it. So they're your logical target. Second, you have to make contact with editors. Most publishing houses refuse to look at unsolicited manuscripts these days. So, without an agent or an invite from an editor, your book won't get looked at. How do you get an invite from an editor? You go to conferences and conventions. In the science fiction and fantasy realm, the World Fantasy Convention is the best for this sort of networking. The convention, which will be in Madison, Wisconsin in 2005, and Austin, Texas in 2006, is limited to a thousand attendees. They're largely editors, artists, writers, agents, art directors, and other professionals in the field. Here you can attend panels, listen to folks talk, and strike up conversations with them afterwards. More than once I've seen an unpublished writer get a card from an editor or agent, along with an invite to send their book to them for evaluation. I've even gone so far as to introduce my editor to a writer I thought was promising, and other writers have done the same thing as well. As for getting an agent, well, there are a scant few of them that will turn you down when you call and say, Bantam is sending me a contract for my novel. Do you want to handle me? In a later podcast, I'll talk extensively about the process between acceptance and publication. For right now, you should understand that getting your book accepted is not a guarantee of having a career. Then again, without finishing the book and sending it out, you're guaranteed to have zero career. If you get this far, you're off to a great start. And that brings us to step five. Step five, lather, rinse, repeat. Success is a moving target. Every writer working today is one sales disaster away from shifting careers. The repurposing of a writer for today's economy begins with developing a mastery of the following question. Would you like fries with that? 
a writer needs to keep working and expanding his repertoire beyond what he initially hit with. This prevents boredom and allows him to expand his market. When I'm offered jobs, I always ask myself if writing a particular book will expand my current audience. If it will not, I'll reject the offer unless I really like the subject or the money is just insanely good. I'm lucky enough to have several areas of expertise, tie-in novels, military science fiction, fantasy, and epic fantasy, so the chances of surviving any one of them turning sour is very good. Even so, I'm always looking at other areas I can move into, and I only find them by reading a lot and remaining on top of the market. I also push myself with each project. The first draft of A Secret Atlas had serious problems. I knew it, but couldn't figure out what was wrong. My editor, Ann Grohl, pointed some things out to me. I was then able to diagnose what was wrong and able to figure out how to fix it. That work made the book one of my strongest novels and really pushed me in the sequel, as it will do in the third book too. If you aren't getting better with each book, if you aren't developing more skills, then you're going to lose ground on the writers coming up behind you. While always pushing yourself may seem like hard work, I got news for you. Writing is hard work regardless. And even if you fail in the first attempt, you have draft after draft to get it right. No one reading a secret atlas today will know what a mess it was when I first turned it in. They'll only see the finished product, which I was able to turn out precisely because of all I learned in writing that book. So there they are, the five steps to developing a career. The reason they're important for you to consider now, even before you've started or finished your first novel, is because you need to be thinking about career. If your only goal is to create one novel, that's all you'll do. If your goal is having a career as a writer, you'll only reach it by putting everything in place to make that happen. A single book is not a career, it's a start. And if you can get that far with proper planning and effort, there's no stopping you. This is Michael A. Stackpole. Thanks for listening to The Secrets. My homepage is www.stormwolf.com. There you can learn more about The Secrets newsletter, get sample issues, and even order a subscription or back issues. We're currently in the midst of a long series of articles on world building that I'm sure you don't want to miss. If you want to reach me to talk about this program or anything else, please visit www.tsfpn.com, the Sci-Fi Podcast Network. In the forums, there's an area to discuss the secrets. I'd be glad for any feedback and suggestions on further topics to be addressed. This podcast is copyright 2005, Michael A. Stackpole. I'll see you in a week or so. Good luck with your writing.